Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. <laughs> this is Michael Mann, and I ride with Extended Clip. Welcome to Extended Clip, episode 85. And we're going to talk to Kaveh Zahidi today. And uh, it's it's a it's weird it's we i talked about like keeping a critical distance or whatever from filmmakers because i was too nervous to talk to them and <laughs> this is still one of those cases i'm strangely nervous to talk to cave but uh i don't know he feels like a real a real person and not part of the hollywood liberal elite <laughs> and so i feel like we can really you know stand shoulder to shoulder with him even if virtually or over a phone line and you know hash things out yeah, you know, as someone who's dealt with a lot of, like, celebrity encounters, a lot of, like, you know, just a lot of famous people I know, you just got to treat them like a person, just like they're, like, one of us. And so, <laughs> I, as long as, you know, we're natural, you know, we're, we're cool, I'm sure he'll like us just because we're, we're going to be down to earth. What time did he say he was going to call? Um, 6.15. Okay, so we can fuck around for a few minutes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I watched um, the show about the show last night, uh, both seasons of it. Yeah. And I mean, just picking up the thread from I Am a Sex Addict, like, wow. Uh, it's incredible. <laughs> I love it. It's, I mean, I talked about some of the precision of the images in I Am a Sex Addict that, frankly, are not here in this one. And he even talks about that, like uh, the direct-to-camera addresses. There's like different looks to them, not for any artistic reason, but because they had to get different camera people and shoot at different places. And, you know, it has the aesthetic of a, uh, a series much more than the aesthetic of a film. So, like, the still very measured compositions are traded in for loose, handheld, not very good-looking stuff, but, oh boy, is the, like, self-reflexivity and emotional torture turned up to 12 on this one no yeah i mean i feel like with i'm a sex addict there's a lot of that is part of it where it's like he's letting you on the inside of like we couldn't afford this so we're doing this yeah where it's like eventually but like that kind of season one is pretty much all of that like like doing a lot of that addressing a lot of that and then by season two it's just pretty much about like the relationships yeah he's yeah. gotten out of it. he kind of ignores the concept to a certain extent just to follow the interesting thread and you know whatever this uh series experiment is yeah for those who don't know the show about the show uh is a show that every episode is about the production of its previous episode and then toward the end of season one, yeah, that conceit is somewhat abandoned in order to almost just go like reality show style, uh, just confessionals cutting to recreations. And it's like, is this just a reality show at this point? But then the last episode really loops everything together in a really interesting way, using footage that expands from the wedding that was shown at the end of I Am a Sex Addict. And uh, I don't know, man, that footage at the end of season two of the wedding is just heartbreaking oh yeah and also it ending on just his friend saying to camera the self-reflexivity is getting exhausting or something along those lines <laughs> it's like he's had that take in the chamber for like 20 years <laughs> like, that was not an i am a sex addict you know maybe it was in another film at some point that i missed but just having that line in the chamber to end such a crazy product or such a crazy project I'm stumbling over my words because I'm I'm nervous. <laughs> no, I um did like something of the opposite because I, I had already seen show about the show. I like watched part of the first episode, but last night I did um one of his earlier docs. That's uh, I don't hate Las Vegas anymore, which is about him 
taking his dad and I think like brother, stepbrother to um, Las Vegas to do ecstasy. He's trying to convince them to do ecstasy so they can get like emotionally close to one another. And it's just like it's interesting to see because what you're talking about, um, Akave talking about self-reflexivity in show about the show. He's already like very keenly aware of what he's doing at this point like talking about like i think one of the moments of like stress and it's still to me it like is left up to a question whether or not the son and dad uh take ecstasy because it's presented like they refuse uh, like at first obviously like that sounds like a pretty bad idea yeah um but then they like leave the hotel room for a bit come back they say to cave they'll do it and then they pretend to take it um but you don't know that it's them pretending until the end so it like leaves it that really up in the air whether or not like cave has been able to like break through and have this emotional connection or if they're just lying to please him mm-hmm. um and in that point he's just like talking about how he isn't even sure like what part of it is reality anymore Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah, I, I like that because that sounds kind of similar to the end of uh, I Am a Sex Addict to where he kind of cuts away before the marriage is officiated and he kind of, that kind of the way he ends things, like you're so invested in like, you know, his personal stories and he'll cut away just like right at the end to where mm-hmm. there'd be, you know, a nice bow on the story. I think last week we kind of hesitated to lump him in with the whole Brooklyn filmmaker thing. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously show about the show is like why he would be considered part of that yeah. scene, obviously. Uh, the aforementioned Dustin guy, Dustin is an actor in that one playing like the producer character and the guy from Girls, Alex Tarkovsky is in it. <laughs> um, and so it still feels like he's an outsider who is just continuing a project he's been on for, you know, uh, however many years at that point, rather than being part of that scene though. It's all, I wouldn't go as far as to say that scene formed around him, uh, but <laughs> he is just this outside force that's working within it and sometimes cherry picking people from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's what's I, also what I like about the show about the show is like pretty much all the people, you know, involved in the process and how, you know, he's openly admitting that he's using like just uh, free editors and stuff like that and just working with, you know, his students and kind of just using all of his, you know, clout just to, you know, get this show made. I'm trying to think if there's ever been a professor that if they asked me to just like come through and help them edit something that I would say yes to. I don't think I've ever had a teacher where I would want (laughs) to do that. (laughs) Although if it, Kavi, Kavi, if I... Yeah, exactly. If I was in Kavi's class, maybe. That'd be great to have him for a class and you look him up and see what he's up to. Actually, you know what? Shout out David Desser. If anyone out there has Tokyo Story Criterion, he's on the commentary on there. He was a cool teacher. I'd help him cut a commentary track, I guess. (laughs) If that's that's what he does. I don't think he's a filmmaker. Even though I've been to college, I consider myself an autodidact. You know, everything (laughs) I've taught taught to myself, so... (laughs) You're a real Martin Eden. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Martin Eden of my own generation. Yeah. Kaveh's new film that I think like just premiered at like maybe one or two festivals uh, last year is like uh, more collaboration like with a class of his. I think it's called How to Overthrow the U.S. Government, parentheses, legally. Um, and it's him like teaching a class under that name. And I think the students play like some 
sort of larger role in assembling the movie together. Yeah, I was just saying, it's kind of like that. Have you seen Brian De Palma's uh, home movies? No, I haven't. I mean, it's not exactly that concept, but it's kind of a similar thing where he's working with students, you know, to develop this thing. All right, I hope he calls soon. It's, yeah. it's 6.14. <laughs> Palms are sweaty. Yeah. We got to talk about something that's not his work just to be casual when he calls. Uh, indica or sativa? Indica yeah. sativa. Oh, so that is another thing, though. So, Kave, I do love, like, we didn't talk about last week how being a stoner is, like, so influential on his work, kind of. Yeah. Um, we'll have to ask him what, what type of pack he's smoking. Yeah. All that type <laughs> of, all the cool stoner questions. What if we did just do a weed interview with him? <laughs> just only talked about Kush. How much you smoking these days? Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember that uh, that professor I told you about who would always uh, reference Woody Allen in his syllabus? Everything you wanted to know about sex, but were afraid to ask. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, apparently, an update on him. Uh, maybe and maybe maybe we could ask Kaveh about this. You know his role as a professor, but uh, um, some people he was making too many inappropriate jokes during his biology class, like uh, making jokes about like sex dolls. And uh, I don't know other vul- vulgar stuff of that mm. nature, and uh, it was presented in another class I was in, and the the teacher kind of told the class how to proceed and uh, oh shit, reprimanding him. All right, well, <laughs> here we go. <clears throat> Hello. Hey, it's Kaveh calling. Oh, hey Kaveh, this is Eddie from Extended Clip. Hey Eddie. Uh, how are you? Good. Are we on yet, or are we? Pre on. Uh, we're pre on, but we can just be on if you want. We don't really need to do anything formal to get started. Whenever you want. Okay, cool. You guys want to introduce yourselves? Yeah, yeah. I'm Malcolm from Extended Clip, and I'm one of the other uh, three people in this room. <laughs> hey, Malcolm. Uh, it's JT. Hey, JT. Um, Kave, we're so glad to have you on the pod. Uh, we, I kind of just like. JT put me onto your work within the last week. We did an episode on I Am a Sex Addict, and then I ran through all of the show about the show last night when JT told me that you might be coming on. So it's it's very nice to meet you over the phone. Yeah, I, I just want to say thanks for uh, thank thanks for your good movies. Sure. <laughs> also, uh, what are you smoking on right now? You got anything going? I don't. Oh, okay. Well, we wish we could be getting stoned with you, Kave, but unfortunately, that's not the case. Uh, but after quarantine, you know, after after COVID dies down, you can come out. So you're you were actually from the San Fernando Valley, right? You grew up around here. Yeah, I grew up in Granada Hills. Oh, Granada. That's cool. That's where my dad grew up, like in the same era, like in the '60s and '70s. Huh. Yeah. What's his name? What's his name? <laughs> <laughs> my dad's name is Ken. He went to. Uh, where did he go? Uh, Kennedy. Did you go there? Uh, no, but that was the my the zoned high school I was supposed to go to. So it was my neighborhood. Oh, okay. Where'd you go? I went to Granada because it was like a safer high school to go to. That's where I went until I got uh, kicked out. But I went there uh, for a while. Yeah, that's a that's a crazy school. <laughs> oh man, good times in the valley. This is so fucking weird. Uh, we've never like interviewed anyone or anything like that. Uh, we just oh, like review uh-huh. films usually. So that's uh-huh. why this is so uncomfortable and weird. But yeah, I'm sure you've done. Being- Oh, go ahead. You're being you're being more polite than than I think you usually are. Oh, oh am I? Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, I guess we'll be rude then. Uh, uh, Malcolm, what the fuck did you do today? Uh, do you want to ask Kave anything? Yeah, you know, Kave, I noticed in the show about the show, um, 
you kind of shouted out Glenn Kenny for his review, kind of, uh, you know, calling you disingenuous, which, you know, it's kind of a out of left field personal attack. And, you know, I feel like maybe your work, uh, since it's so personal, it invites a lot of personal attacks. And uh, how, how do you deal with those? Um, well, they hurt. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you process it. Um, I got one today that was kind of stewing about, um, but, um, you know, it makes you stronger. It makes you like less impervious to, it makes you more impervious to other people's, you know, judgments and whatever snide remarks. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's spiritualizing, I think, to be attacked. What was the one you got today? Uh, it was actually an actress in the show, uh, who plays, uh, Ashley, the Ashley character when she quits. Zia Anger? <laughs> yeah. I have, oh, I have so many questions. Okay, <laughs> please go on. Sorry. No, she just tweeted something hostile to me about me. And uh, I was like, well, I don't, why? Um, but um, it was just, it kind of hurt my feelings a little bit. Did you see her movie, the first film that came out last year? I saw the performance she did about making it. Yeah, oh, that's what it is. is that's the movie. Yeah, yeah, I saw it. Oh, okay. I was just wondering, because it's like a, also a per very personal film. I wanted to ask you about that, but now that I know that she's mad at you or something like that, I don't want to ask that. <laughs> That's weird. But I wanted to ask because it's like a similarly personal thing, I guess. But uh... Yeah, yeah. And I, I liked it. I thought it was quite good. Um, but yeah, it's very much in my wheelhouse, I think. Like, mm -hmm. um, like I, ha I have a project I was doing about, you know, all the films I tried to make that, you know, didn't get made, for example. Like, I think... You know, I'm really interested in failure. I'm interested in, you know, um, re uh, finding ways to sort of uh, recycle projects that are that are not done. So I, I really liked what she was doing, and I related to it. Yeah. Um, but she's like, she's very PC, and I think, you know, there's some people who are just falling over themselves to like <laughs> signal their virtue. Um, Absolutely. And, and like, I'm an easy person to like use to sort of like show other people how moral you are by bashing somebody else that you know doesn't doesn't do that i i was just gonna say uh it, it's funny that you say that because i was surprised to read it was lena dunham on you very positively of course uh saying that like she framed herself getting into your work as a recovering moralist and i found that very funny uh because yeah the the personal attacks generally do come from a place of like I don't know, a, a moral high ground where like I, I get personal. I, I understand making stupid personal attacks at a director on Twitter because frankly, I do it too, <laughs> but usually not for making personal films like that feels so much more. I keep saying it, but personal, you know? Yeah. And I, I don't know. It, fe it all feels a little weird to me, <laughs> but I guess that's the danger of making very personal work is that it gets personal. Yeah. I mean, what I hate about, critics is they're so vicious mm -hmm. and like no one ever attacks them and when anyone does they they, they like they run screaming <laughs> oh trust you me know? man glenn kenny hit me with the block so quick he hates me uh, he, he he attacks almost everybody and he's very like uh, kind of mean spirited and very like uh, ad hominem ways like you know mm. i know a lot of people you know, he's done that too and it's just like um you know he just i just feel like he needs to have someone just yeah. do it to him and see what it's like if um, i may i have some examples of very poor inaccurate and uh you know 
perplexing things that he's I mean he said something that has really stuck with me over the years that like is representative of what's wrong with a lot of criticism right now uh and it was when and this is something I don't care about that much like I don't care about the new Star Wars movies I don't I don't have any involvement with all that shit uh I like the old ones fine but anyway he said that anyone who doesn't like was it called the force awakens the mm-hmm. ryan johnson one he said anyone who doesn't like that and talks about how they don't like it on twitter is an alt-right troll like literally mm-hmm. like you have to have an alt-right ideology because people were mad at one of the actresses mm-hmm. 10 years before that he's in the very like slanderous documentary the people versus george lucas and he talks about how like the people that viciously attacked george lucas for the prequels were in the right because the fans deserved better, you know? And I feel like that's such just like going with the changing tides of what criticism was. You know, the post like prequels era, that's like, you know, people are blogging and there's like that kind of like, I don't know, the the ain't it cool news kind of aesthetic of film criticism that is like, yeah, the fans should get what they deserve, you know? And then now he's kind of doing the the moral scolding kind of thing, which... I don't know. It, seeing you uh, talk about him and th- the show about the show just kind of ignited that in my brain. So sorry. <laughs> no, you know he lives in my neighborhood, and uh, <laughs> I see him on the subway all the time. And uh, you know, I talk to him. I'm like, I'm like, hey, Glenn, how's it going? And uh, I don't know if he, he 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 acts like he doesn't know that I talked about him in the show. And maybe he doesn't, or maybe he does. And I saw him huh. once, you know, he was he was with a woman and they were they were being very loving to each other, like very affectionate. And I was thinking, that guy looks familiar, first of all. And I was thinking, like, I'm impressed, I'm impressed by how loving they're being. <laughs> I was thinking this must be like a recent thing. Like they must be like, you know, young love kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just kinda of staring at him both because of the affection <laughs> and because I, I thought it looked familiar. And then he sort of sees me staring at him. He's sort of staring at me. And I think he recognizes me, but he can't place me. And then I just, he just says, do I know you? And I said, are, are you Glenn Kenny? I was like, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, are you, who are you? I said, I'm obviously. He said, oh, yeah. And then I said, do you guys, how long have you guys been going out? And, and he said, uh, we've been together for like, I don't know. He said a long time, like 10 years or something, or maybe more, wow. but many years. And I was like, wow i'm really impressed and I, I was impressed like he was like he's like his wife loves him so he's doing something right <laughs> yeah. he is doing something. i yeah. was gonna say I, I thought he was like romeoing some girl and that would have been like the ultimate flex is as a critic some filmmaker recognizes you on the street like, coming <laughs> on to a girl that's crazy it, it, no no he's got you know i think he's got qualities too but you know as, as a critic you know I, I just think he's um i don't know it's like this there's there's a meanness there's a meanness that critics have you know I, I was a critic for us and i was very mean and my meanness was just out of like uh resentment and jealousy and frustration and you know i i, I can't really blame that because i did it too um but you know i i feel like it comes from a place of like uh you know resentment rather than a place of like uh you know uh happiness yeah i mean i think perhaps what he lacks in like critical rigor he makes up for in the domestic sphere he's a very good husband and, you know. <laughs> i mean what I, I hate in criticism is just like i mean i think it's fine to say i didn't like this film or i i you know like i, I it's not my cup of tea or rub me the wrong way like all that is is honest and true i just hate it when people are like objectively 
this is bad because yeah. I didn't like it. You know, it's just like really like oh, it's such exactly. a simplistic notion of reality and of and of and of of how 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 the mind works. You know. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why we mainly just review old movies that we know we're probably going to like and can just have interesting conversations about rather than taking every new piece of shit as it is and saying, well, this one was good, but, the, you know, the other new blockbuster, that one's bad. And like, I yeah. just never want to fall into that game, really, <laughs> which is why I could probably never work as a critic. But hey, yeah, I mean, that's why I feel like it's harder to talk more like explicitly about movies I have negative feelings towards because it's like that's not an like it's. I feel negatively about it because it's generally not promoting and any sense of investigation or discussion that could take yeah. place. And right. Every time we dislike a film, we talk about it for like 10 minutes. And then when we like one, we talk about it for like 45. Yeah. And I think appreciating, appreciating something is so much more, it's, it's more difficult really than criticizing something. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's like just a, I mean, it's like with people, like, you know, you can see a person and they have flaws and you can appreciate them anyway. And that's just like a more, I don't know. It's like a more, it's like the, it's a it's like a it's better for the world to see the good in people than to see the bad, and I think it's true with films too. It's like to the extent that you can see what's admirable or interesting or unique about something, versus just like holding up against some measured yardstick of some preconceived notion that you have about what a thing should do, mm. you know, like or what a person should be or you know how a person should act. It's not nearly as interesting. It's just like trying to understand why they act the way they do and like see what's maybe like interesting about that or, or or different than the way you do it and you know what you can learn from that or, or how you can enrich your your vision of 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 reality and you know so much criticism just like reduces everything to some like preordained thing and moralism does the same thing just reduces everything to some like preordained notion of of what's right and wrong when really it's all so much more complicated hmm. no yeah you know and i think we learned something here today you know i wasn't that big of a fan of glenn kenny coming into this but now, you know, I know he's like a good husband and he's in a loving relationship and stuff like that. Like that's stuff to admire about a person. It reveals the complexities of him. You that's know? true. A yeah. lot of people who, you know, run in our spheres, they like to, you know, often rightfully make fun of those type of people uh, like the establishment critics, because frankly, they do lack skill and critical rigor. But when you think about it, you know. I'm I'm living at my mom's house. David Ehrlich's got a family, you know, yeah. like he's got kids. I, you know, I, I live at my mom's, so he's got me beat there. Yeah. Wait, you had a dis- you had a question you wanted to ask about like uh, influences because you haven't, Kaveh, you haven't really said like I think uh, too explicitly in your work necessary like other than I think in Sex Addict you directly like reference Godard, um, but uh, you're curious about like other filmmakers that deal with like. Uh, self-reflexivity if you are uh... I mean um, talk about self-reflexivity yeah if there's any filmmakers in specific that have influenced like that aspect of your approach Um, I mean I really like Ed Pincus's diaries film do you guys know that Ed Pincus diaries no I actually don't know that I think it's pretty pretty obscure but you know he uh, taught at Harvard Mm. And he sort of like started the whole like personal documentary program there. Ross McElwee was a student of his. And, you know, a lot of people came out of that that program. Um, but he made a film where he just chronicled his life for like 20 years. And you see him like, you know, meet his wife and you see him get married, you see him have kids, you see him get divorced. Like he just mm. and like in a in a three hour movie, it's pretty long. Yeah. You just see like, you know, this huge span of life happen. And it's pretty it's pretty powerful. 
Um, so I think that was an influence. I mean, that's not really self-reflexive exactly, but yeah. Um, Cause I don't know for me, when I think about self-reflexivity, the first one that comes to mind is in terms of like doing it productively would be a boss and like the Coker trilogy, kind of how that kind of folds in upon itself being about itself. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Particularly with show about the show, you know, how one installment is about the previous one. Yeah. Uh, So that one definitely came to mind. Yeah. I mean, I discovered Karistami after I started doing that kind of thing in my work. Mm. And, you know, it was like a revelation. It was just like, oh my God, this guy's doing the same thing I'm doing. And it was kind of felt like weird because, you know, we're both Iranian. Yeah. Um, That's what I was thinking too, because the the two Iranian filmmakers that Americans know are Karistami and Panahi. And both of them do like a lot of self-reflexivity in making their work about well, with Kiristami about the process of the work and with Panahi both about that and about his own journey as a filmmaker. Yeah, and also Makhmabov has made a few films like that too. But those three guys, yeah, they're, they're doing a very similar thing. And and the fact that I was doing it too, but without knowing their work, made me feel like, well, there must be some weird genetic predisposition here um, that's kind of weird, like a mystical thing. Yeah. Um, but I, I love his work and, you know, close up you know you know for me is like you know the great instance of it i'm you know but of course the coke trilogy is more like the show about the show mm. um also i i was wondering with another kind of comparison thing sorry to just like no, talk no, about please. things that it reminded me of but have you seen brian de palma's home movies i never did oh is that's like a film he made with his students at sarah lawrence yeah i remember reading about it i was always curious about it yeah it's on youtube it's you should check it out it's like it's not great but it has some good bits in it definitely and a couple of yeah. players that are in his other films if you're if you're a fan of de palma i'm not sure i am a, you know some of them oh okay. um, I'm, we're big fans over here we're big de palma yeah, boys <laughs> i like that de palma documentary that those guys made uh noah bombach it's pretty good. Damn. Um, I, I have this weird thing where I can't watch something like that until I've seen all of the Brian De Palma films, you know? Yeah. But yeah. now I have, so I should just uh-huh. watch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you should. But, you know, I've been making films with my students as well, and um, I'd be really curious to see what, what he did because, um, you know, I, I thought about him when I made it, I, although I hadn't seen it, but mm. just the, the idea of it. Um, and also George, George Kukor's films that he made with his students. I was curious how, like, I mean, being such a personal filmmaker, I know your, like, your, your most recent work about, uh, like, how to overthrow the U.S. government legally uh, deals with you, like, uh, teaching a class. I mean, same thing, like, show about the show incorporates. But I'm curious how, like, for someone who makes extremely personal work, collaborating with the students and getting their perspective, uh, their perspectives in, involved changes things for you. Well, I mean, I really, I really like, uh, you know, what James Joyce calls parallax, you know, like different perspectives, like, you know, like uh, the way Ulysses is told from three different characters' points of views, you know, the same the incidents are, you know, told from other perspectives. Like, I like that, that thing in, in literature and in life, you know, it's nice. I think it's interesting how somebody has a different version of a story than someone else does. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like in the, in the film I did that one you're talking about, like the students tell the story of the class. And it's really interesting to hear how they see it, you know, mm. and how they see it differently. And, you know, one student will see this way and will see it in a way that's completely, you know, contradicts that or opposes that. And I just love that. I love, you know, conflicting perspectives. 
And, you know, in the show, at the show, it's, you know, it's mostly my perspective, but I really like welcome other perspectives. And like in season three, which I'm working on, like there's a lot of other perspectives in it. So mm-hmm. I think, and, you know, I just made a film in London that is, you know, three different people's perspectives on the same events. So I think maybe I'm moving more and more towards, towards that, or at least that's interesting to me, you know, right now. Yeah, that mm-hmm. is actually really interesting. Just to, I don't know. I, I haven't come upon too many filmmakers uh, outside of the experimental realm who are so implanted in just like your own POV than you. So you completely stepping outside of that realm will definitely be interesting. Um, I mean, just starting from the student's point of view. Yeah. And I also wanted to say, I mean, how do you right now at least see yourself in terms of filmmaker versus teacher? Because these Stu- these projects involving your students, uh, you know, obviously kind of blends that line between them. Uh, I don't, I don't know. It's kind of an open question, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you know, teaching is, you know, I mean, I'm trying to document my life and mm. teaching is part of my life. So it feels like it needs to be included in the documentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of a great opportunity to sort of integrate those two, you know, energies or whatever pursuits. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I like it. I, I like doing it. Um, I keep getting in trouble with the university, which is kind of frustrating. Um, you know, there's so many you know PC minefields increasingly yeah. that you know yeah. anything you do that's kind of interesting or or, or tough, you know, someone's going to be upset about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. Uh, it, it's been a little fraught, uh, but uh, so far so good. I feel <laughs> like I'm still still doing it. Yeah. No. Yeah. I had a, I had a question about that because I'm. I'm a schoolboy myself. I'm still going to college. And uh, I, I had a recent professor who got uh, in trouble with the school for basically making too many Woody Allen references and stuff mm-hmm. and things like that. And I was wondering, you know, you're not afraid to, you know, put some un-PC stuff in your work. And it sounds like you're getting some, you know, a little bit of backlash from the school you're at already. So how do the students sometimes react to, I don't know, things like that? Well, it varies. You know, some students really appreciate the the anti-authoritarian gesture of it, <laughs> mm-hmm. and a lot of students are just, you know, they're just like sheep. They just want, oh, yeah. you know, everyone to think that they're good. And, <laughs> and 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 my problem with you know moralism is like the disparity between the ideal that everyone is espousing and the actuality of of who they really are and what they really do is <laughs> just becoming greater and greater. Yeah, and the result is a kind of like deep dishonesty with self a deep neurosis and a deep depression because you feel like you're a really bad person because you know you're not living up to these like ridiculous values that you're espousing that are just unattainable really and you know profoundly inhuman and so i think there's like a lot of like almost like i don't know what to call it, like mental, mental illness or you know like uh you know the Some beginnings sort of derangement of, like, syndrome yeah like people can't can't keep it together and and there's a lot of like there's a lot of um damage being done to people's self-esteem and to their um ability to be honest with each other and to feel you know safe you know that that is happening and it's too bad because you know everyone means well and all the people the pc people mean well and the you know the universities mean well and the teachers mean well but they're 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 pushing for these agendas to try to compensate for, you know, a lot of problems in the world, but they do it in a way that I think is creating these other problems that are, you know, significant and need to be, you know, addressed. So it's a, it's a complicated problem, mm-hmm. but I just feel like, you know, like, like the sex addicts film you guys talked about, you know, like 
for me, the sex addiction really came out of a kind of inability to sort of uh, integrate my my need to feel like I was a feminist or something or like a you know not sexist person with the fact that I was a guy who had like you know sexual impulses and some of those impulses you know seems to me to be maybe like not not kosher in some way mm -hmm. and you know I think that's just like everybody but you know people don't talk about it so you just feel like you're there's something wrong with you and it seems to me like the more people can just be honest about their fantasies and their actions and the things that they're not proud of, the more people can feel like they're not so bad themselves. Hmm. And, and then it just means that you can actually work through it with a certain amount of self-acceptance instead of having to pretend you're not doing it and deny it, which then leads to, to, to addiction, really. Damn. Very well said. Um, also, yeah. So did you go to UCLA for grad school? Yeah. Nice. I'm at UCLA for grad school right now. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's, it's fine. It's it, it's funny. I, I have the, just the two words written down on my paper right here, Matt Farley. And I think it's because you, Cave, uh, have now joined like this this elite trio of filmmakers who have listened to our podcast. It's you, Whit Stillman, and hmm. uh, Matt Farley. Do you know about Matt Farley? I do. I do know with Stillman, but I don't know Matt Farley. Oh, okay. Uh, damn. Uh, Matt Farley. He he makes like no budget genre films in New England. Uh, there's like one really great one called "Don't Let the River Beast Get You." Uh, but he also has an incredible, like, very Stardust Memories-like film called Local Legends, uh, like, about him as a no-budget filmmaker. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and it's very interesting. I, I would rec I mean, I'm sure you have plenty of shit to do, and you're not just going to, like, watch movies that people tell you to. But I, I think Local Legends would be right up your alley, just, just to point it out. Okay, thank you. Whit Stillman did not take to us, but Malcolm has developed something of a strange relationship with him. Yeah, no, yeah, me and Whit Stillman, uh, I don't know, I feel like he, I think... He I think, called us hoi polloi, which I didn't appreciate. Yeah, I, I think he has a weird relationship with us where I think he pretends not to like us, but I think he's, like, we're his insight to, like, youth film culture hmm. or something like that. And, like, it's kind of like whenever he interacts with us, it's kind of like you know, keeping with the times. And you know, that's that's kind of like endearing in a way to me. Hmm. So. Hoi polo means like the rabble? Like the yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he called yeah. us like rabble rousing and like foul mouthed and apologized for not putting Adam Sandler in one of his movies. And it was pretty like messed up, honestly. <laughs> well, I mean, his accusations aren't necessarily wrong. Like. I, get, I mean. I We're foul-mouthed for sure. We are foul-mouthed, but I wouldn't call us the hoi polloi. I don't know. Anyway, we don't need to talk about ourselves we have, <laughs> when we have a filmmaker on the podcast. Sorry about that. Um, That's okay. I, I mean, Wit is, is a difficult person. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not surprised that he calls you that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> have you had experience with them? I mean, a little. I mean, I met him. Um, um, you know, he's never been uh, horrible to me. But, <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> I, I know people who know him and, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, he's, I, I like this about him, actually. Like, he's kind of like um, a snob in a way. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, there's something, uh, you know, old fashioned about that that's also charming and kind of, you know, something, there's something, something good about that, too. Mm. So, you know, I can see why, you know, the, the, the good and the bad go together there. So, um, yeah. you know, I, he's, he's, a, he's a voice that I, I'm, gl I'm glad exists in the <laughs> cinematic landscape, you know? But, you know, interpersonally, I can understand why uh, it could be, uh, you know. 
Yeah. No, I get less, that. Less than fun always. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what was it like working with Richard Linklater? This is a fluffy question. And I know you talked about it on your podcast. So what, what was that like being in Waking Life? I mean, he, he asked me to, to be in it and he sent me like a, a script, mm. uh, like two page script. And I just said, you know, Rick, I can't say these lines. Like, I would never say these lines. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, um, well, that's OK. I just want you in the film. Like, you know, what would you want to talk about mm-hmm. along the, along these lines? And I said, I don't know. Um, I have a few ideas. And he said, well, just come to Austin. You can just tell me your ideas. We'll pick one and then we'll just shoot it. And I flew to Austin and then, you know, we met. I told him these four different things I could talk about. And he said, oh, I like them all. Why don't you just do all of them? And I said, okay. And so the next day we just, uh, you know, went to this place. It took like two hours. And I just told these four different stories. Or just, And, and he did this really smart thing, which I really was impressed by. He said, let's just do a, a practice run through just for the, you know, for blocking and stuff. And so I told the stories, you know. And then he said, great, we got it. And I was like, but are we going to shoot it now? And he was like, no, no, we sh- I, shot, I shot it already. I just told you that I said that so you wouldn't be like subconscious. The classic prank. And then he used, yeah, and then he used one of the stories at the end of the film, but he tells the story. It's like this dream that I had. Mm-hmm. That I, tell, I tell this dream about Philip K. Dick, mostly. Mm-hmm. And then he just did that, that whole monologue thing himself. Uh, at the end of it, it's like a pinball uh, scene. He's playing pinball, um, and and then you know use two of the stories. And you know he gave me the footage, and the footage is you know it's okay, but like there's nothing like the the animated version of it. I mean, of course, like, yeah. It just elevates it so much. I was um, going to say it reminded me of that when you rotoscoped your children out of the last couple episodes of the show. The the textures of that rotoscoping looked very much like Waking Life. It reminded me of that. Yeah, I hate that rotoscope stuff in my show, yeah. though. I, no, I, I get why you would hate that. <laughs> I was <laughs> saying it reminded me of it. I'm not saying it was great. Yeah, it was the same same uh, approach, yeah. Um, well, Kave, I mean, is there anything else you guys want to ask Kave before we let him go? Yeah, I'm good. No? All right. Well, Kave, th- thank you for coming on Extended Clip. We, we, you know, I think we're going to leave you with one question uh, because it is kind of the thing that drove me wild about Whit Stillman in particular. Uh, how do you feel about Adam Sandler? Uh, I thought he was pretty great in Punch Drunk Love, and I thought he was pretty great in Uncut Gems. Okay. Great. Uh, all I'm going to say is that we highly recommend you watch uh, Spanglish and Grown Ups 2, and we wish you a very fun evening, JT. Oh, wait. Uh, Kave, is there anything in particular you want to plug? I know your podcast just came out, like anything else. I was going to ask him to plug. I okay. Was gonna... <laughs> um, I don't like plugging, but I think I... I think I've seen Spanglish. Spanglish is great. I'm, I, we're 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 big James L. Brooks fans on this podcast. We we support him in any endeavor. So that's one of our pet films, I guess. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Uh. W- which of you is the one who said all the nice things about Sex Addicts? About what? About I am a Sex Addict. All three of us. Yeah, we all loved it. Yeah. One person was like the main uh, proponent. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think you talked a lot about the compositions on I it, guess, Eddie. Yeah. Like, yeah. I guess, yeah. I mean, about I brought it, it to the table. Yeah, JT brought it up. So, yeah, no plugs then? Just the pod? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. I oh. mean, th- this this culture has enough plugging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're big, fan- uh, we're big fans of promotion on this podcast. We're not like those other 
you know, like socialist, anti-capitalist, but we're actually like <laughs> kind of like madmen. Yeah, socialists <laughs> for the money. Yeah, we're we're yeah, uh, we're really into like advertising and stuff. So that's kind of our whole thing. But you know, if you don't have anything to plug, it's fine. We'll we'll just put some stuff in for you. Okay. Okay, great. Well, have a good night, Kave. Thank you. Take care. Nice meeting you. Nice, nice meeting, meeting you. you too. Eight one eight forever. For the Valley Boys out there. <laughs> Well, fellas, how do you uh, how do you feel about that? That was that was good. Actually. Yeah, got a lot of good stuff out of that. We you were... could talk into the mic still. Oh, I'm still yeah. recording. <laughs> Malcolm, Malcolm, really like I was clocked, clocked out. out yeah, yeah. He clocked out through the headphones <laughs> down. <laughs> it's it just it felt like an end. It felt like an end. So you know, yeah, it was naturally happening. You hang up. End of a nice shift. That's the end. That was <laughs> so fucking weird. But whatever. I'll just. No, yeah, no, no of, course of course not. not. That was he was great. Yeah. I think like yeah. I mean I would love if he's ever out in LA, I would love to meet Kaveh. Yeah. No, yeah, same, same. I mean he's like, you know, like his reputation is very honest. He answers questions very honestly. Yep. Um well, that was uh, a strange uh episode of Extended Clip, but we'll see you tomorrow for the main episode. But then he also said that I was sinister and that my evident disingenuousness masks something even worse. And I'm like, disingenuousness? That means dishonest, right? Like I'm evidently dishonest? I don't know, I, I think I'm pretty honest. I, I think I'm probably a lot more honest than you are, Glenn Kenny.